Well, my friends, we are at the first Sunday after Easter, and this is a great time for the church to be talking about what is life going to be like between now and Christmas, right? I can say that because you're all here the Sunday after Easter. But, but even more than that, for followers of Christ, we do have to talk about what do we do in, in those in-between times because it's the in-between times where we live out the resurrection, where we get to embrace this life that, that Jesus died for and gave to us. So that's what we're going to start talking about this morning. Would you pray with me and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this really good opportunity and we pray that we will do something extraordinary with it. In your name, amen. So we have this story this morning. We've got fear, joy, deception, bribery, triumph. It is a great, great story. It's the kind of stuff that, that the really engaging novels are made out of. It has the attributes of an Academy Award winning film because all of it, all of it is packed in there, every bit of it, and then something else, doubt. You probably didn't even notice that it was in there with all of those other things. Doubt is something that most of us, we don't want to see, much less talk about, especially when we're surrounded by firm believers. And today, we're going to talk about doubt as it relates to faith. But you can pretty much apply it to anything, really. So for example, say that your friends invite you to go out to this brand new Brazilian restaurant. And it's the most amazing restaurant that they have ever been to. It is, it is going to change your whole life to go to this restaurant. And so you get there and you order something and the food is brought to the table and they just start gushing. This is fabulous. It is the best that they've ever had. Nothing will ever compare to this Brazilian food. This is a whole new level of dining that no one in the history of ever has ever experienced before. And you take a bite of yours and you think, but you sure do not say, oh, it's edible, I guess. Right? Most of us are not going to do that. We are just going to roll with the awesomeness because generally speaking, we don't want to be that person, the one who's not going with the group, the one that, that if we say something, they're going to think, ah, oh, that person's such a downer. So we tend to keep our reservations and our doubts to ourselves. And I think that's one of the biggest secrets that people of faith keep, doubt. I want to read today's scripture again, and I want to see if you catch what we may have overlooked before. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. And after the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, 
you must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story is still told among the Jews today. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So did you, did you catch it? Very, very small, right there at the end of 17b, right after the semicolon. In the midst of everything that's going on in this passage, Matthew records, but some doubted. This passage starts at the tomb, which is empty, and Jesus actually appears to the women who had come initially planning to care for the body. So we have an empty tomb, we have a visible risen Jesus, and it's not just the women that saw him. There were guards, guards who were not on team Jesus. And they run, and they go, and they tell the priests and the elders that Jesus has risen. And guess what? The priests and the elders believe them. So much so that they bribed these guards to fabricate a story of falling asleep and letting a group of rogue women come and steal Jesus' body. That's how much they believed that this had happened. So now we've got this story just out there floating around in the community, which true or not doesn't seem to matter because Matthew says this story is still told among the Jews even today. So here we are thinking that we are the great inventors of fake news when actually we have a documented case right here in the Gospel of Matthew. There is nothing new under the sun. If you just speak convincingly enough, People will still believe fake news as gospel truth. It's right there in Matthew. In the meantime, though, Jesus has made his way to the mountain in Galilee with the 11 disciples. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, friends, he's standing right there. He's, He's right there. And some doubted. We're talking about the 11 people on earth who are the closest followers of Jesus, now Jesus the Christ, and some doubted. And to be fair here, we, Matthew doesn't exactly say what they doubted. Did they, did they doubt that it was actually Jesus or that he was really risen? How much more evidence did, did they need? He's standing right there. In the Gospel of John, we hear the famous story of of Thomas reaching out because he wanted to touch the wounds. All we know from Matthew, though, is, is that there were some, even among the most faithful, who doubted. And we can learn from this. This this is a gift to us. Because doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. 
Unbelief is this willed, intentional refusal to believe. Unbelief in God is the belief that God does not exist at all. Doubt refers to an inner uncertainty. So, I do not unbelieve that the Orioles will not win the World Series this year. I just highly doubt it. Which means that I'm saying there's a chance. It's a really, really small one. But there is still a chance. So imagine, imagine what these disciples have just been through. They saw Jesus' horrific death, the beatings, the torture, the blood. The odds of life are not good here. They witness him die. And when he dies, not only does his physical body die, but all of the hopes that they have had for years and years and years of a better life. Everything that Jesus brought into the world that was so radically different from everything that they've ever known died when Jesus went into the tomb. And these are people who are very used to false promises. Now, a friend of mine recently learned that her teenage son is going to start his fourth battle with leukemia. And she has seen what this disease has, has done to his life, to her life. She has been through this cycle of, of false promises and false hopes. She has never known life with her son without leukemia always being there. And so now he started a new treatment, and it seems to be working. Every part of her, every part of her wants to believe. She wants to believe so bad because her son's life depends on it, and therefore her life depends on it. But the treatment just started. It's all just happening. And it looks promising, but other treatments have looked promising. And as much as she wants to believe and does believe, she has some doubts. Because what if? What if it doesn't work? What if this is just another false bill of goods? She believes and she doubts at the exact same time. The scriptures don't say that these doubters didn't believe. They say that they worshiped which means that you can, in fact, be in worship every single week and still be a doubter. And get this, you can be a believer and still have doubts. In fact, faith requires doubt in order to be faith. If you are absolutely certain of everything 100% of the time, then you have no need for faith, because you are already absolute. When we look at some of the great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, we find people like Job and David, and they are good examples of how you can have doubts and still be a believer. Job suffered tremendously. He lost loved ones. He battled disease. At one point, you find the man just sitting there at his lowest in a sackcloth. He questioned God. He went through seasons of doubt, but he never stopped believing. Likewise, David, who wrote some of the most beautiful psalms, at the same time struggled with immense sin. 
And he went round and round and round with God. Even in his darkest doubts, God did not condemn him or abandon him. Don't, don't you want a God who is big enough to handle our doubts and our questions? I mean, think about the alternative. Think about, think about leaders who command absolute, precise, total adherence. No questions. No doubts. That's not our God. The very nature of our God is love. And we know that because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So we don't have a God that forces a blind faith, particularly a blind faith rooted in a place of fear. And we set up a very vicious cycle for ourselves when, when we struggle because when life takes a turn and, and it causes us to doubt, usually from a place of fear, we tend to beat ourselves up and we condemn ourselves for our doubts in God. How, how can I be a good Christian if I have doubts? Well, God doesn't do that to us. We do that to ourselves. And what's striking in this passage in Matthew is that right after Matthew records, but some doubted, he immediately writes, and Jesus came. Jesus comes to us in our doubts, and he speaks to us. When he spoke to the disciples, he gave, he gave to them what we call the Great Commission. And when we talk about the Great Commission, we usually talk about it by itself, and we forget the part that right before Jesus hands this out, he's talking to a bunch of doubters. The thing about doubt is that it, it can trap you. It can paralyze you if, if you let it. If you've ever experienced um, physical therapy following an injury or surgery, you can totally get this concept. So let's say that you have injured your ankle and you show up to physical therapy for the first time and the therapist wants you to sit on the side of a bench and start spelling out the alphabet with your foot. That sounds ridiculous, right? Because you didn't suffer a brain injury you graduated kindergarten, you know how to do your alphabet, your foot is not your ankle, so now you're starting to wonder if the physical therapist didn't graduate from kindergarten. How do your ABCs help you to walk again? So you doubt, you have serious reservations, but you do it, don't you? You absolutely do it, and then they give you the little flyer at the end and you go home, and you do it again. And what happens? Over time, your ankle gets stronger, and you get stronger, and you get back up, and you're able to keep going again. Or what about when you have your first child? Have you ever seen a brand new dad try to install a car seat in the car? Best three hours you're ever gonna see. <laughs> or, or a brand new mom standing there at the exit of the hospital with that new little baby, you can bet money. And, and any woman in this room that says this is not true is lying to you in church. You can bet money that mom is standing there with serious doubts about how this is going to go. But guess what? Hospitals don't let you stay forever. So you have to go. You have to go. That's how faith and doubt work. Jesus gave the Great Commission to the disciples so that even in their doubt, 
they still had something to do while they worked through their hesitations and their reservations, something that was going to ultimately strengthen them and the kingdom of God here on earth. The church began because they followed and believed in him even in the midst of their doubt. The very last line of the Great Commission and the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus saying to the disciples and to us, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, he said this to the people that were standing right there in front of him, doubting. God does not leave us when we doubt. He doesn't give up and say, good luck, go figure it out. He says, I'm right here. I'm right here with you. I'm going to be right here with you always, no matter how long it takes for you to figure this out. Church, we don't like to talk about our doubts because, because we don't want others to think of us as less than Christians. And, and I think that's exceptionally true for those of us who are deeply committed to the community that is the church. We, we don't want to be the one to say, I, I, I have some, some reservations, some, some doubts about this. But doubting doesn't make you less than. It reminds you that without that deep abiding love of God in your life, you will never be truly whole. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we confess that each one of us carries doubts. We have doubts about you. We have doubts about ourselves, about each other. We don't like to talk about them because we don't want anyone else to think that maybe we're not as good a Christian as, as they are. Remind us that you stood on the side of the mountain and you talked to everyone and you commissioned everyone and you sent everyone out into the world and you reminded everyone that you would be with us always, even till the end of the age, even in our doubts. With thanksgiving we pray. Amen.